Learn how you can find the best credit card rewards and travel hack so you can save significant money while enjoying a fantastic and memorable family vacation. Welcome to Simplify and Enjoy, the podcast and community focused on helping families have less stress and more options through minimalism and financial independence. I'm your host, El Martinez. This podcast is sponsored by Coastal Credit Union. Coastal's mission is to help you live a better life by offering you a better way to bank. Find out how at bankbetter.org. Here on the podcast, we typically talk about responsible financial goals, like paying off debts, saving for emergencies, preparing to buy a house, investing for retirement, and so forth. Those are wonderful things to take care of, but money can also be used for fun things as well, including travel. Look, these past two years have been stressful for so many families, us included. I understand that many of us would literally like to get away from it all. TripAdvisor did a survey at the beginning of the year to see how people are planning to travel. And it's pretty interesting. Did you know that about 29% of Americans who traveled for pleasure in 2019 said it's even more important now than before the pandemic to splurge on a big trip? 41% of Americans said that traveling to a destination that they've never been to has also now become more important to them. And when deciding on which destinations to go, when those surveyed mentioned the most important considerations they had, they listed getting immersive by seeing new places, having new experiences, and learning about history and culture. Planning a family vacation is not just a great way to relax but really a way to mentally recharge and reset ourselves a bit. We're no different. These last two years, we've adjusted and stayed in state for most of our trips. Yes, it was a great money saver, but we also got to rediscover and enjoy some awesome spots here in North Carolina. Still, we'd love to expand our horizons this year while still keeping safe and staying on budget. If you're in the same boat, I think you'll enjoy these next two episodes. We're going to be looking at how to travel hack your family vacations so that you can enjoy more for less. Next week, we're going to be discussing the logistics of planning an epic family vacation on the cheap. This week, though, we're going to dig in and see if you really can snag a deal with travel hacking using credit card rewards. That's why I'm happy to have Daniel Rathfelder on the show. He's the vice president of card services over at Coastal Credit Union. He's going to get into how those reward card programs work and how to get the most out of them. In this episode, we get into finding the right reward card, how your credit score is affected when you travel hack, and optimizing your credit cards to reap the rewards and not get into debt. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Many people have different ideas about travel hacking with credit cards. To double check, we're on the same page. Here's how I describe it. Travel hacking is where you can get a discounted vacation, in some cases practically free one, by strategically using credit card rewards. Those rewards can be points, miles, and cash back. Now, you accumulate those rewards by using your credit cards for purchases. Many hackers gain the most by signing up for new cards 
week because typically that's where the big bonuses and rewards are. Now you could, and others have benefited from this, but how exactly does this work? How do the credit cards stay in business? Utilizing points to redeem for travel is not a new concept. I mean, one of the most popular travel cards out there is the Delta Sky Miles American Express card, for example. That's been around for ages. I think we've all probably gotten an offer in the mail for it or something. It's definitely one of those those products that allows people to utilize sometimes their daily Mm -hmm. spending and redeem that for travel. From an industry side, travel cards are built around two key components. One is high interchange on travel merchant categories. So if you're using your card at, say, a a Delta Airlines or a Southwest or Spirit or whatever, those particular vendors pay a higher interchange percentage on that transaction. I'm just going to make a round number, two and a half percent. Yeah. And so that credit card provider gets two and a half percent of your transaction for that as income. That's why you see usually the travel cards have slightly more appetizing rates or rewards rates than what you would see on a normal like cashback card where they have to kind of blend the whole thing where like a grocery store obviously doesn't pay two and a half percent of your transaction. They're more in like 0.8 or 0.9%. So very different in some of those strategies. But utilizing a card to make the purchases that are specific to optimizing that offer and possibly the introduction of getting a new product definitely allows somebody to redeem for free flights and whatnot. Yep, there's always costs. I found this fascinating because of how we use credit cards. We have a cashback credit card that we typically use for a big purchase or vacations. We put it on the card and immediately pay it off. That way, if there's any problems, it doesn't mess with our regular checking and savings, and they can deal with the credit card company. There's always going to be some trade-offs, not just with travel rewards, but with credit cards themselves. Before you sign up for one, there are a few things to consider so that you maximize the reward while not getting burned. The, the things to think about are what are you actually using in your daily life that mm-hmm. you can relate this to that you're, you're not going to get yourself in trouble, which is the second piece of those rewards cards, which is those typical high interest rates that you'll see. You'll start to see the best rates for some of those travel cards in like the 16% number. That's pretty high as an industry. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas a like lower cashback card or a non-rewards card, you can get as low as like 8 9% on a lot of those. So it's very yeah. different in the approach and what you want to accomplish with the card. If you've been online looking at anything financial or travel related, you've probably seen those ads about sign-up bonuses on some of those cards. Typically, you have to spend so much within the first three months to get those really great bonuses. But how do you know which rewards are good for you and your family? Yeah, I'll start with annual fee. That's Mm -hmm. a big one. A lot of the times they'll waive the annual fee for the first year. But then you're from a credit side, you don't usually want to open and close credit cards very quickly. So you're going to be charged the annual fee for multiple years before that. Even if you only use it once, 
put it in a, a file cabinet or a safe and put, tuck it away for a number of years. So mm. keep that in mind, it's not just a one-time kind of hit. There's re- continuation of that fee. The bonus stuff is great, but a lot of the time and, and what we study in the card industry is how to activate a consumer into a product because none of it pays for us from an activation side if they're going to use it once and never use it again. That's why the annual fee sometimes exists. That's why there's three months of incentive because they're trying to build a behavior for you to use that car. That's why that happens. So those incentives say a 60,000 mile bonus or something like that is there with a annual fee of say $95 and waived for the first year. Then there's probably sometimes like a $20,000 bonus if you spend say $1,500 in your first three months. Okay. Uh, Pretty attractive offer, right? Right out of the gate. Again, think about what you're doing and making sure you can pay that vacation off um, before you get a 16, 17, whatever the APR is associated with the card. And you're going to be paying that $95 fee the second year, the third year, and probably the fourth year if you don't use your card ever again. And that's always built into that. You never get the introductory points typically again. The rewards rates can be anywhere from two to 5%. This is serious business for sure. If you decide to go with reward cards, you've got to know the ins and outs of it to maximize those bonuses. For some cards, they incentivize you to use their travel sites. The other thing to look for is there's some companies that will be specific to using their travel site. So you can only get that, like say on the 5%, which is on a couple of different providers, you have to go through their specific travel program. Spirit Airlines, for example, which is typically known or JetBlue, low rates on airline fees. You're not going to fly JetBlue. You're not going to fly Spirit. They're not even options typically in some of those sites. Be prepared for slightly more expensive flights like American Airlines or United or Delta or something like that. And you'll pay similar prices or the same price as you would uh, if you book directly through Orbitz. But it's, hey, we're going to use that site. The reason that they do that is they avoid that interchange loop because they Mm. don't pay like a Orbitz, for example. They would have to pay a percentage for that interchange fee. If you go direct to a site that's owned by uh, the the institution, they don't pay that. They just debit the card. They create a back-end electronic process and say, okay, Mm. I'm just money. And they avoid that. That's why those point systems are a little bit higher through those those sites. It's probably the personal finance nerd in me, but I was fascinated by how these programs work, especially with the psychology of getting cardholders to develop new habits. There were also a couple other points that caught my attention, like annual fees. I was not aware until digging into it recently how varied and how much it could be between cards. I was speaking with someone who's pretty much a professional travel hacker. Don't worry, you'll hear from him in the next episode. He recommended a card and the annual fee was just under $400. But it had a ton of bonuses on top of the one we eventually got. Considering how much he and his family traveled compared to how we do it, I can understand why he went for it and it just didn't work for us on the number side. That's why it's so important for you to sit down and look at the numbers to make sure you understand how you're spending and that if you're going with a credit card, it aligns with that. Yeah, it, that, that's a really good conversation to, th- to have and to think about when you're going into what card should I get? How often are you going to use it? 
if if it's kind of a one-time thing a year, like that's how my family operates. We take one nice family vacation a year. That's what we do. We might go and disappear like to a beach or something a couple times a year, but that's about it. It's not this grandiose, hey, let's travel and have Mm -hmm. everybody do that. A lot of the times, if you're not a frequent traveler or using it for booking frequent travel, the benefits for a travel card sometimes less than if you were to look at just Mm -hmm. using your everyday cash back card, even putting all of your general purchases on it, including your travel, a lot of companies will allow you to bank that cash back piece and let Mm -hmm. it sit off to the side. And when you're ready to do that vacation, go ahead and and dump that over. It's just an easier way to maybe maintain a lifestyle and not have to change behaviors and not have to watch Make sure, hey, did I make sure I made the payment on this other card before the due date and don't have credit reporting history or late fees or anything like that? Definitely a a couple of different avenues, but it depends on how much you travel. Speaking of paying off for your family, there's another thing to consider when you're trying to find the best rewards card for you. Which is the right option? Points, miles, or cashback? Yeah, so Mm -hmm. miles little bit harder to do because as seasonality changes and so forth, it's not something as, as tangible as cash, right? Like we all know what a dollar represents. Yes. We don't really understand what 10,000 miles represents. Like it's a little bit of a, a question and that 10,000 mile piece can change. But it's actually interesting. Like the cost of gas, for example, for everyone has gone up, mm-hmm. including the airline industry, you know, what you could get for 10,000 miles a year ago is very different than what you can get for 10,000 miles today. And it's sometimes like, but why doesn't that compute? Why is, do I need 25,000 miles for the trip that I only needed 10,000 last year? But yet the way that the mile odometer kind of runs on the rewards points is always the same. It doesn't change Mm -hmm. the card. Now I know that some people would say, well, it's a pretty direct relationship to the cost and cash. Yeah. But if you're getting a cashback card, you at least know maybe I can choose a cheaper flight or maybe I can choose a flight with another carrier or whatever that would be a little bit less. So it, um, it again, depends on how often you travel. Uh, a lot of times, like you were saying, your friend recommended a card that he uses all the time. It sounds like he's a frequent traveler. He probably enjoys going to the airport lounges. But in that same token, he he probably enjoys flying the same carrier, the same airline pretty regularly. Um, mm-hmm. He might have additional bonuses because he's flying an airline with maybe using their card and, you know, free check bags or free upgrade or something like that. Again, it's all built into that financial model for them. But yeah, that it's very different. <laughs> the other thing I'll, I'll say a lot of people do is they'll actually sign up with a business and use their mm-hmm. business credit card with a points model or something like that to accrue. And you sometimes use that for personal personal gain if they're traveling a lot for business. That's a fairly good avenue because at least it's possibly under the business for the credit reporting side at the same time from a finance or accounts payable piece, that's an easier ask to make sure that those are paid on time. Since we're talking about opening up new accounts, one concern I heard from families was how doing that affects your credit score. I think the one common misconception people have when they talk around credit scores, they think, oh, if I do this, how many points do I lose off my credit score? That's not necessarily the case. (laughs) It kind of depends on your full picture. But what I will say is every inquiry that you 
put on your credit report, which this would be an inquiry if you apply for a card and get a card or even just apply, mm-hmm. uh, it does add to the risk of what the model sees. So that typically mm-hmm. lowers your score. The, if you had a great credit score and then did 20 credit card inquiries to apply and see which ones you got approved for, maybe you got approved for all, that would cause a lot of detriment to your credit because you did 20 inquiries and then possibly you opened 20 accounts up. Even though if you never put a balance on any of them mm-hmm. or paid them on time or whatever, it it is more risky to a lender to give you a loan later. That's really what a credit score is representative of is the associated risk or the, it's really the probability of bankruptcy. If you have more inquiries or open more cards to get more bonuses, we as a financial institution are going to go, mm, they're a little bit more of a risk because if something were to go wrong in their life, a life event happens, which those happen all the time. They now have, say, $60,000 available for credit card debt, almost at a drop of a hat, right? And yeah. they could go up all of that credit card debt. And then we might be on the hook at the same time if we extend to them a loan. So it's not necessarily a direct relation, but yes, it mm-hmm. does affect your credit. And then closing the credit cards after you're done using the points, that actually has a more negative effect than just opening the card. Now, some people, even us as a financial institution might recommend that for certain cases, but mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of the cases, if you have a good credit score and start closing credit card accounts, that will lower your score at least temporarily until that mm-hmm. pulls back. I hope you enjoyed seeing how those credit card reward programs work. Before we finish up, Daniel had some great advice to keep in mind. Uh, honestly, it's kind of pick and, and do the planning, right? Any part mm-hmm. of your financial life should be somewhat at least the majority planned. What does that monthly budget look like? What's savings? What's retirement? All of those generic things, right? Even the credit card component, like you were sharing, traveling with your family, possibly in the fall, how often are you going to do that? Is that like mm-hmm. once every couple of years? Try to yeah. maybe take ourselves out of the pandemic for a couple of minutes, <laughs> but pre-pandemic or post-pandemic, what does that look like for your family? Is that going to be mm-hmm. an every year thing? And then start to figure out, okay, if I do that every year, what it's going to cost, this is my fees, I I can calculate what my rewards are going to be now and what they're going to be next year. Start doing just some really, really simple math. I mean, this is back of napkin, use your iPhone calculator math. It's not super hard. Then is that something that you feel that there's risk in your other pieces of your financial life that would, if you opened up a credit card you'd have to put something else on it. Would you Mm -hmm. ever pay interest on it or could you pay it off? Those are really important. And then I'm going to go back to my earlier point. Could you just live with a cashback card? I mean, Mm -hmm. again, all of these providers, they typically have a cashback card without a travel rewards component to it that a lot of those don't have annual fees. As a benefit, you, you would compile and get the cash and use the cash when you're ready for that vacation. If you're like us, you probably have quite a number of accounts between the two of you, including your old 401ks. It can be difficult to stay on top of everything, especially when your old employer switches providers, which is what happened with my husband. Here's where our sponsor Capitalize can help. Capitalize helps you find and roll over an old 401k into an IRA of your choice for free. They handle the entire process. And yes, that includes calling your old employer 
or the 401k provider on your behalf. If you're ready to make managing your old 401ks much easier, find out more at simplifyandenjoy.com slash capitalize. Before we wrap up, I want to share some key takeaways I grabbed from my conversation with Daniel. The first is, even though travel hacking can be a way to save money when it's done right, you have to be attentive with your spending. It's never worth the cost of credit card debt. Set up bill pay so you don't carry a balance and have a system for how you use your credit cards. Whether it's a spreadsheet app or program, make sure that you're tracking both your spending and your rewards. The second one is, if you are using credit cards, make sure you review how you're actually spending your money to figure out which card makes the most sense for your situation. While those quarterly bonuses can sometimes look really tempting, I want to make sure that you don't get sucked into them and spend outside what you've already budgeted. Finally, if you haven't already, make sure you're including travel into your budget. Not only will it make it easier for you to save up for your next vacation, have a little bit of money for maybe a last minute getaway, but it also gets you into the mindset that money isn't the goal, it's a tool to help you live a life that you love. Whether or not you choose to use credit cards to travel hack, there are other ways you can save up for your vacations. Don't forget, we have a free course called 5 Days to 5K that will walk you through how to find, save, and earn extra money for your goals. Just sign up at simplifyandenjoy.com slash 5K. Special thanks to Daniel for being a part of this episode. Coastal Credit Union has great customer service and competitive rates. So if you're in the Triangle area of North Carolina and you're looking to bank better, check out Coastal. I'll include a link to them so you can find out more, as well as other handy resources over in the show notes, including an app to help you compare reward credit cards. Just head over to simplifyandenjoy.com. Next week on the podcast, we're still focused on travel hacking, but it's more than just the credit card rewards. We're going to get into how you can plan some epic and surprisingly affordable family vacations. How does a summer vacation in multiple countries sound? Road trip around the U.S.? Month in the Bahamas? Justin from Rudigood breaks down how he and his family of five take these trips while still getting an incredible deal. So if you don't want to miss out on this episode, make sure you're subscribed. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. The theme was by Staircases with additional music by various artists over at Audio. Finally, and most importantly, thank you so much, not just for listening, but for being a part of the community. Every tweet, review, and share you post gets the word out so more families can simplify things and enjoy what truly matters to them. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care. <laughs>